the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode. We are happy to be with you. Yes. Yeah. What um, has been going on in your world? What do you want to share with us? Well, I asked Wendy to kind of throw me the the ball here at the beginning in our little opening section because I, I wanted to share some fun stuff I discovered in the Magnificat recently. Uh-huh. I'm a faithful Magnificat reader, as you know, Wendy. And uh, in the cycle of readings, just recently, there was this reading from the prophet Jeremiah. And it's one of my favorites because it's one of those kind of biblical shockers yeah. where they get up in front of the congregation the reader reads it and you just like what really and you, but nobody acknowledges it <laughs> and rarely if ever do you hear anybody preach on it uh-huh. but there's this great little article in the Magnificat about it and I was so glad that they talked about it so it's the prophet Jeremiah and the last line of the reading is my favorite it says <laughs> this, is, this is great I love it uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> for as <laughs> for as close as the loincloth clings to a man's loins so had I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord, to be my people, my renown, my praise, and my beauty. How's that for a a biblical image of the intimacy that we're we're called to with the Lord? I laugh not because, like, I, I don't find this shocking. I find it quite beautiful. But I laugh because of how in the typical Catholic parish, how incapable we are of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we just don't want to go there. I've made my living um, <laughs> going there, you know, and, and, and saying, hey, this, this stuff is in the Bible for a reason, and we, we, we can't be puritanical here. We can't be fearful of asking the question, what does that mean? Yeah. Why? Why? I actually read this this morning in the Magnificat, oh, you did the- and I kind of burst out with a little chuckle in the kitchen, and I had to explain to our daughter what I was reading because it was quite funny to me. Uh, it was the in the article about, the you know, article. about yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so the, it, I, it is funny. Listen to this. This is so it's uh it's in the Magnificat for the month of July. It's on page three hundred seventy five, and the title is that in the Bible question mark, and then. That's like the heading of the article. And then the actual title of the article is Prophetic Underpants. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. This is by Father Anthony, I won't get his name right, Giambrone, maybe? He's a Dominican. And he says some really interesting stuff here. He, He talks about how what the prophets wore or didn't wear... Mm-hmm. And he references there the prophet Isaiah. This is another one of those scandalous truths in the Bible that the prophet Isaiah was asked by the Lord to go naked mm. for a time, like publicly naked as a prophetic word. Wow. Uh, that's that's a topic for another podcast. But uh, here he's talking about why, what's the deal with this loincloth and and what what is the prophetic message? And you have to understand stand a little bit about. Israel and some of their rituals, and uh, there is this idea of ritual uncleanness from bodily discharges, and there's this line in the reading where he was to wear this loincloth but not wash it. 
And this was an instruction that Jeremiah received. Right. Jeremiah yeah. received that instruction from the Lord. Put on this loincloth, let it cling to your loins, but don't wash it. And there was this whole thing about ritual cleansing of mm -hmm. undergarments and such. And he speaks, uh, this, this Dominican priest speaks of the unspeakable intimacy of union with the Lord. So intimate does the Lord want to be with us as intimate as a loincloth clings to a man's loins. But then there's this, the soiling of the loincloth, the staining of the loincloth, and the don't wash it part was, was a, a prophecy or a prophetic way of talking about our shame. And he even says that the Lord himself will bear our shame mm. in his nakedness on the cross, and that the nakedness of Christ on the cross is also the symbol of, of a profound intimacy. He, he talks about this loincloth image, the loins being clothed, loincloth, uh, as an image of the incarnation, that God himself, the second person of the Trinity, clothes himself yeah. with our humanity. Mm -hmm. And he speaks of this as, this is his own quote, he says, we have an image here in the loincloth for the humble nature of the revealed word, mm -hmm. the extreme and even shocking lowliness of Scripture's way of speaking of the Incarnation. Mm -hmm. So we needn't be afraid here. Christ really was a man, and as St. Augustine says, he was complete in all the parts of a man. And uh, there's a famous uh, painting of the nativity. In fact, many scenes of the nativity have the same scene, and we, we tend not to really want to look too closely at it because we don't want to deal with what it's pointing at, quite literally what it's pointing at, because you'll see the three wise men bending over, looking between the legs of the Christ child mm. to confirm, like, wow, he really, really became incarnate, and that's the proof that that the that the the God who took on flesh really took on flesh. That's the proof of it that he took on flesh the whole way. He became a male child. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're so uncomfortable talking about this whole reality of being male and female, talking about loins, talking about our genitals, because we're so uncomfortable, it goes underground and then it comes out in really disturbing ways like locker room jokes and uh, pornography, and if we can't talk about this in healthy, holy ways, as Scripture here is clearly inviting us to do, yes. it's going to come out in very unhealthy, unholy ways. And and I say this also to encourage our listeners, especially parents out there, find healthy, holy ways to talk about that. Don't be afraid when that comes up in the cycle of readings to talk about it. Don't be afraid when it comes up in the cycle of readings that, uh, you know, we're all called to drink from the abundant breast of the New Jerusalem in heavenly glory. Don't be afraid to talk about that. And if you are afraid to talk about that, then talk about that with the Lord. Why am I afraid? What's in my own life? Where was I malformed or misinformed? Or, or where did I get off track? Why, why is this shameful or scary? It's part of being human. We go through it as well. It's not like we're immune to any of this stuff. Uh, but it's it's an encouraging thing to see those kind of startling passages yes. in Scripture. May I share a question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, this is actually a COVID question. Okay. How about it? Every now and then we get relevant. 
Um, it says, I have a question about a unique cohabitation situation. One of my friends, I'll call him Bob, is cohabiting with his fiance because of COVID. They decided it was healthier that they live together since she would be in, in an unhealthy family situation at home with no job. Bob is a very devout Catholic and in an effort to reduce scandal, his brother is living in the apartment as well. Bob is hoping that his fiance can move out soon, but it has been over a month. The deadline only keeps getting extended for quarantine. Mm -hmm. The question, if they're not engaging in sex and believe they're not committing scandal, is this contrary to the church's teaching for them to live together? No. That was quick. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it always recommendable? Is it always prudent? Uh, those are other questions. Is it fundamentally contrary to anything the church teaches? No. Uh, what the church teaches is that married, unmarried people should not be having sexual intercourse. In other words, they shouldn't be living as if they are married. Uh, in this situation, they are doing everything to make it clear that they're not living as if they are married. There are external situations here and circumstances that are impacting very directly the decisions here. So they are not doing anything objectively wrong. And and they're even taking, it sounds like, good measures to avoid scandal, which we also have to be aware of how our decisions may... Let's take a, a couple who's... Uh, maybe they're living in the same quarters, they're not engaged in sexual relations, they're living chastely, but it may appear to others that they are engaged in sexual relations. That that would be a cause for scandal. Uh, and that Scandal in the sense that a person who professes faith right. appears to be um, just flaunting, flaunting the teaching right. of the church, and so that creates a, a false image of what it means to live our faith. Correct. Is that, is that yeah, kind of how that, we mean yes, that that's word what scandal? We mean. Thank you for that clarification. Okay. That's mm -hmm. what we're getting at. But this couple here is even taking measures with, you know, having the brother live there too, to, mm -hmm. to do everything it's within, probably, it seems like, within their means to, to not cause that scandal. You know, the brother being there is probably prudent for their benefit as well. Yeah. It's just a, a natural... Um, just breaking up of the intensity of sharing the mm -hmm. same living space by having another person there to with whom to interact. And, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying about there are a lot of factors that are in play um, in this situation. Um, and there are probably people who would condemn or, you know, say a lot. That's kind of true of life. But I think... Um, there's certainly a, a beautiful desire to live in a way that's respecting God's plan and the yeah. meaning of the union of a man and woman. Um, and there's there's sacrifice involved even in this living situation that yeah. um, certainly God can bring good out of that. Here's another example from the church's teaching that sheds light on this, maybe in an indirect way, but it is related. Uh, take a couple who have an invalid marriage. And they come to a place of, of wanting to live in accordance with the church's teaching. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have already had children together. Um, they have good reason not to separate in their living situation because they're raising children together. They have responsibilities to mm -hmm. the children in their lives. But out of reverence for the truth of the marital embrace as an image 
the way Christ loves the church, freely, totally, faithfully, fruitfully. That couple, in an invalid marriage, uh, the church invites them to refrain from living as if they are husband and wife, which means not engaging in sexual union. And they can do that and remain living in the same house, and they're no longer in some objectively immoral situation. Mm -hmm. So there's a perfect example, or a clear example would be a better word, a clear example of where in church teaching, what is really at stake is the sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. What's sinful about two people living together who are not married is not the fact that they're under the same roof. What we typically mean by two people living together is they're engaging in a sexual relationship. If they're not engaging in a sexual relationship, there is nothing objectively speaking wrong with living under the same roof. Is it prudent? Is it always the right thing to do? Uh, it's not always the right thing to do, but it's not objectively wrong. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think maybe we've answered that one. Next question is from John. Hey, John. I'm having trouble overcoming my attachment to pornography. I've struggled with it since I was seven years old. Oh, bless you, brother. I had a major conversion when I was 20 years old, and I stopped watching porn for four years after that. I'm now 25. In the past year, the problem has resurfaced, and I'm struggling again, and I do not know why. I thought I had the problem under control. Do you have any spiritual or practical wisdom you can share? John, as I'm listening to your question, I'll tell you what leapt out at me. And it was the line, I thought I had the problem under control. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to accuse you here. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting, admitting that I'm reading into your question uh, or reading into the way you worded it. And, and maybe this, maybe this, if the shoe does not fit, don't wear it. That's what I want to say first. But if the shoe does fit, uh, take it to heart, take it to prayer. And maybe the underlying sin here is not so much lust, although I'm sure that's a factor, but maybe the underlying sin, and I'm sharing something that I learned in spiritual direction from my own life and my own struggles, maybe the underlying sin is self-reliance. My confessor said to me years ago, uh, Christopher, I want you, every time you come to confession, I want you to confess two things. He called them the twin towers of sin in my life self-reliance, and then self-condemnation. Uh, the self-condemnation comes because your self-reliance is inevitably, inevitably unreliable, and you think it should be reliable, and then you beat yourself up. That it's not. And it may be the case, John, again, I'm holding this out, uh, not knowing for sure, uh, if the shoe does not fit, please don't wear it. But it may be the case that you've fallen back into this habit because you were thinking you had licked it. The Lord in His mercy, the Lord in His mercy allows those who struggle with self-reliance to fall and fail repeatedly in order to gently and repeatedly teach them. This, this is all coming from my own experience of failures with sins that I struggle with. The Lord has allowed me to struggle and fall repeatedly in certain areas of my life to teach me the fundamental truth, apart from you, I can do nothing. 
Apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. That's one thing I want to say first. Another thing I want to say to you, John, is, and here I'll, I'll paraphrase one of my favorite sayings from Father Jacques Philippe. This is from his book, Interior Freedom. And I'd, I'd urge you to read that, John. We can put a, a link in the show notes to that book, Interior Freedom, uh, by Father Jacques Philippe. And he says in there that whatever we may be struggling with, so he's not specifically talking about pornography, but it certainly applies here as well. We have to look at the underlying legitimate desire that we're taking to the wrong place for fulfillment. We have to find that legitimate desire and learn how to seek its legitimate fulfillment. The fathers of the church tell us that prayer is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before. It bears repeating. Prayer is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Pornography, and I've said this too before, I'm sure, pornography, John, is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. The real thing you're looking for in that erotic longing is communion, intimacy, to be known, to be loved, to be blessed, to be seen, to be affirmed, to be told, behold, you are very good, and to behold the goodness of another. That's a legitimate human need and desire. To take it to pornography is to take it, it's like a thirsty person uh, drinking ocean water. There's a certain semblance of, I have liquid in my mouth, there's some semblance of satisfaction of the thirst, but you swallow that ocean water and it just makes you more thirsty for the wrong thing. Um, pornography, what do I mean when I say it's a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality? The heavenly reality that is being mocked in pornography is what Scripture calls the marriage of the Lamb, the union of Christ and the church. And I'm taking this right out of Ephesians chapter 5. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, a mega mystery. Mm in the Greek. This is a mega mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. The union of man and woman, the whole mystery of human sexuality, the whole mystery of our creation as male and female, is an icon, a sign of this glorious heavenly destiny of being grafted into the eternal exchange of the Trinity through the marriage of the Lamb, through the marriage of Christ and the church. Christ wants to be one in the flesh with us. Pornography blinds us to this mega mystery. The, there's one final aim and one final goal of pornography, which is a diabolic attempt, and it's so often very successful, to blind us to the mega mystery revealed through the sexual embrace. Mm -hmm. John, what you're looking for is holy, is sacred, is beautiful, is good. You're looking for the marriage of Christ and the church as it is revealed through our creation as male and female but you're taking that legitimate desire to a counterfeit, to you're taking it to a, a hellish mockery. Um, now, that's all kind of intellectual truths, right? Um, there are some very practical realities. What is your day-to-day -day life like? Are you praying regularly? Are you fasting regularly? Uh, if you can't say no to a potato chip, there's no way you're going to be able to say no to that temptation to pornography. So, 
that kind of ascetical discipline needs to be worked into your life. Uh, I would urge you to look into the work of Matt Frad. He has a 30-day challenge for men. We'll find the right name and we'll put it in the show notes. Matt Frad's a good friend of mine. He does great work. And it's a 30-day challenge for men struggling with porn. I'd urge you to look into that. Mm, yeah, I hope many of our listeners will follow up on that, yeah. um, what you're sharing about that specific uh, ministry um, geared for this specific issue with the insights of people who've been there. Um, and John, you shared that um, you stopped using porn uh, at a time of conversion. And that really struck me mm. in your um, question, in the sense of your awareness of spiritual movement, a powerful spiritual movement preach in your it, Wendy, life. Preach it, you Wendy. Know, like that you're not just a human person without a spiritual life. You have a spiritual life, and there was an outpouring of grace in that spiritual life that caused a turning in a new direction in your life. And I... I am so thankful to God for that powerful working in your life. And one of many fruits, I'm sure, was this, you know, no longer um, indulging in pornography and all that goes along with it. That you are struggling now with pornography is in part a spiritual problem. So, you know, you, you have to address it from different perspectives. But I think to recognize that there's an attack on your spiritual life that's connected with this is important as well. And not to be discouraged that it, it doesn't call into question the reality of your spiritual path, but that you need to grow in this area. Yes, and yes. I know for you, my husband, this very question of struggling as a, you know, early twenties young man with some of these same issues was such a fruitful ground for you for growing in yes, your spiritual yes, life. So yes. there's much to be encouraged about. There are resources out there. There's hope. The very fact that you're bringing this to our podcast is so hopeful. And we pray that many people who are struggling are hearing this and opening themselves to the graces that are there. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show notes, John, where to find Matt Frad's resource that I couldn't remember the name of. And um, I, I want to just add one more thing, Wendy. You said the word, a fruit of a spiritual life, and it reminded me of something John of the Cross says mm -hmm. that I think may be pertinent here. Mm -hmm. He says, in, in our early stages of our conversion, the Lord uh, addresses the fruits of sin in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like John had that experience where the fruits of sin in his life were getting dealt with. But then as we continue in our following the Lord, the, the, the deeper challenge, John of the Cross says, is to deal with the roots of sin in our lives. And it can be kind of shocking. And I know lots of times in my own life where I've been making that transition from dealing with the fruits to dealing with the roots, you're like the sin can almost, it come, comes back and you thought, oh, I thought I dealt with this. And yes, it, it is true. It is right to say I dealt with the fruits of sin in my life. But when the sin reemerges after a time, such as this, like mm -hmm. four or five years, he said, then it may be the Lord inviting you deeper to deal with the roots. Mm -hmm. And that means you could, you could really benefit from some good spiritual direction, someone who knows the terrain of the interior life and how patterns from childhood, lies we believed, 
uh, places our hearts got shut down, fears we have that we carry with us into adulthood, uh, going back to those roots of, of sinful patterns, sinful thinking, just, just mistaken thinking. I don't mean sinful in the sense of you're to blame. It might be some experience you had when you're four years old that puts some lie in your mind or in your heart that manifested in a sense of unworthiness that became a, a self-loathing, a self-rejection, that pornography provides a quick fix to fill an emotional void. So these are complex things of the heart and good spiritual direction, mm -hmm. good counseling, a good therapist could be of great assistance to you, John. And we, we have in our show notes always therapists that we recommend. We always want to be very clear. Wendy and I are not mm -hmm. licensed counselors or therapists. Uh, we're sharing from our own life experience here, but we want to point you in the direction of, of good help. Yes. So look in the show notes there, John, to see where you can continue the yes. journey. We love you, brother. We're so uh, glad you, you made yourself vulnerable and asked that question. So many people are in the same boat. You are not alone. We'll be praying for you. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, brother. Keep fighting the good fight. I have a question here from Maria. Hi, uh, Maria. Um, I found it a little bit cute. <laughs> <laughs> Maria asks, how do we know John leapt for joy in the womb? I mean, how do we discern between that and just a swift kick in the rib or <laughs> evening calisthenics? <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Maria. Uh, you know, there are there are things in the Bible that I'll be reading along in that story, and those same kind of questions will come to me, like, well, how how did this get in the Bible? Like, did did Elizabeth describe to? Well, it says she told she Mary does, she does right say away. She told Mary. There's a yep. there's a there's a gift of prophecy, not just John has That's, in yep. the womb, but that his mother has to interpret what is what this scene is all about and i assume we we're safe to say that mary went and told luke right, right. who wrote it's in luke's gospel yeah, right yeah i hope i'm getting that right i think it's in luke's gospel yeah uh, it is. yeah it is in luke's gospel so so yeah i think i mean the number one the bible is reliable uh we have to understand the sense of scripture the sense in which it's reliable it's not like the book of Genesis, for example, is not a science textbook. If you think it's reliable science, you're going to be off track there. Uh, so we have to understand, and this is a great image from uh, Bishop Barron. He, he says, when I'm asked, is the Bible true? He says, well, that's like saying, is the library true? Mm -hmm. The very word Bible means a collection of, of books, a collection of, of, of books. That's what the, the Bible is, right? It's a collection of books. It's not one book. It's a collection of mm -hmm. books. And you have to know what section of the library, so to speak, that you're in in order to know how to interpret, how to interpret the it. Bible. If you're in the fiction section mm -hmm. or the poetry section of the library and somebody says, is that section, the is that true? Well, what do you, yeah, there's poetic truth, there's metaphor, there's symbol. Mm -hmm. What kind of truth are you talking about? So that's all important in discerning and, and reading the Bible. But here, in this story, reported from Elizabeth to Mary to Luke, this really happened. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not poetry. This is not metaphor. But it does have deep poetic and uh, mystical meaning, as all of Scripture does. And I love thinking of the 
dancing, the leaping of John. There is a direct biblical connection here with the leaping and dancing of David before the ark. Mm. So Mary, the ark of the new covenant, is carried through the hill country of mm. Judea to visit Elizabeth, just like the ark is carried through the hill country. Um, and the dance of John the Baptist is a kind of fulfillment of the dance of David. And that dance of David, I, I return to it again and again and again. It's so significant. It's so meaningful. And therefore, the leaping of John in the womb of Mary is also so meaningful, so significant. In fact, I'll, I'll end with this, and I want to hear any of your mm -hmm. thoughts, Wendy. Um, Pope Benedict XVI says in his book, Daughter Zion, which is one of, I would say it's in my top five mm -hmm. books of all time that I've read. And it's a quick read, so insightful. Daughter Zion by Cardinal Ratzinger. Um, he says, we cannot understand... We cannot understand true Marian devotion without understanding the ecstatic joy of David dancing before the ark. He says this brings us to the very essence of and heart of authentic Marian devotion. Mm. So uh, put that in your hyper-pious pipe and smoke it. I love that, and I love the thought of this... Uh... <laughs> This scene. From uh, well, the me, uh, oh, sorry, you had something. I'm so sorry. I did, and I, I just realized when I said, <laughs> "Put this in your hyper pious pipe and smoke it." Like the person who asked the question might think I'm like directing that no, directly no, no. to them. That's not what I mean. No. I'm kind of saying that in a general sense. Like <laughs> I know there are hyper pious people out there who who think of Marian devotion as old, always folding your hands and looking up to the sky with a, <laughs> a religious look of piety on your face. That can be fine and good, but so can throwing off all your clothes like David did and dancing wildly before the ark. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I just needed to clarify yeah, that. Forgive me for interrupting you, Wendy. You go fine. ahead now. Launch. I like, I like I what hear you were what you sharing. Have. Thank you. And I like just the thought of taking this scene um, of Mary pregnant with Jesus, entering the house of Elizabeth pregnant with John, as just a real first step into Marian devotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here we we ha we see so many beautiful things in the scene. You have just the beautiful declaration that these babies in the womb are human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a very special place in God's plan. Yeah. Already, already, yeah. It's so powerful. That is powerful. The love. awareness that mothers can have of that reality of I'm Woo! carrying this unique human being and God has a very special plan. How beautifully Mary and Elizabeth share that with one another in, in this scene in um, Catholics in the rosary call this the visitation. Um, but that's just just all of, all of that is contained right here with John's leaping. Elizabeth understands it. He's responding to Jesus's presence. And uh, Elizabeth is honoring Mary as Love the it. mother. It's really beautiful when we when we believe it, when we say, yes, he did leap for joy. Look at all the ramifications for the the meaning of this beautiful scene for our hearts. So I love it. So one of the takeaways here, all you pregnant ladies out there, mm. maybe that kick in the ribs isn't just a kick in the ribs. Mm, mm. There's communication going yeah. on there. Beautiful. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We have a few nuggets of uh, 
nuggets of what? Uh, just helpful information. That's what for I'm you. trying to say. Yeah. We have some nuggets of helpful information <laughs> that we want to share with you. The online conference that we hosted uh, last spring, those talks are still available. You'll see that link in the show notes. We invite you to become part of our community, global community of patrons. We at the Theology of the Body Institute, we rely on those who believe in our work and mission to enable us to fulfill our work and mission. So if you'd like to become part of that community, click the link about being a patron. Your support enables us to do what we do, and we want to continue to support you. There are lots of exclusive benefits and goodies that we offer in terms of ongoing formation for our patrons. So check that out. And uh, was am I forgetting something, Wendy? Uh, there's a new podcast oh, coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. To- we want to give you a heads up. It's going to be launching soon. We'll say more about it uh, as the information comes. We have a new podcast called Discerning Marriage. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Busby, who's been on the team at the Institute for a number of years, coordinating our intercessory efforts, she has launched this podcast and she's interviewing people about how they discerned their vocation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was interviewed recently by her, and I really loved the way she posed questions. And mm-hmm. she has lots of people she's interviewed, and it's going to be a really great podcast that the Institute's going to be putting under its banner so as that podcast becomes more available we'll tell you about it all right god bless you everybody thanks for being part of this with us until next time never forget you're an indispensable irreplaceable unrepeatable gift of life and love and become what you are Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. (laughs) 